Well, hey, good morning, church. It's good to be here. My name is Ryan. Uh, I'm glad you're here. If you're online, joining us is my mic. Mark, there it goes. Um, so it is just really good to be here this morning gathering. And yeah, we are, so that honest is a way of saying we were the worst golf team ever assembled. So um, we might be able to solve superhero problems or cast out demons, but for praying golf, like Dustin goes is amazing at golf. And uh, can, he's like happy Gilmore, but uh, the rest of us, Steve's all right, and me and Chris were just um, definitely weak links. So that was fun, though. But um, I like that, most honest. That's the way of saying, like, you guys reported that you're really bad to, to us. So <clears throat> it is good to be here. Um, we are in a brand new series today. We are talking about life together. We're going to be going through the next several, several weeks, a series in the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians is a great, uh, it's, it's one of the Pauline epistles. That means Paul, who wrote uh, 13 to 14 books in the New Testament, um, penned a lot of it. This is one of his primary letters to the churches. And we're going to be covering a lot of things. And we decided to call it Life Together because really, really Ephesians is all about what it looks like to be unified to God and to each other. So one of the things we're going to do is we want to take a survey. We thought do something a little different. And one of the things we want to do today is um, we just want to get a pulse because it's one thing to do things, it's another thing to, to do them well. And we don't, we're not just haphazardly getting up here. And I've had people say, so what do you do for a job? Or what does Lucas do? Or what does Steve do? It's like, yeah, we just show up. Like Lucas plays guitar. I just like, like, I'm like the peanut gallery and just get up and say goofy things. And then Steve just likes to babysit. And that's what we do. And we just kind of like, like, there's a lot that goes into this. And there's a lot of time, talent, treasure, effort. And we're doing things all week to try to prepare and to meet the needs of people. And one of the things that we want to be really um, in touch with is we feel like we're called into certain things. But we also want to make sure that they're hitting the way that um, we feel like they should hit or that they're getting through on the way they're supposed to get through. And so one of the things we want to ask today, first question, and get your phones out. This is a get your phone out in church kind of moment. And look up here. You're going to text. I want everyone if unless you do not have a smartphone, and I think even if you don't have a smartphone, you can probably answer this. I want you to text via, to, to answer this, you text that, and you can text, do you personally feel a need for spiritual community outside of Sunday morning gatherings? I want you to text yes or no. Just yes or no. Text yes or no, text VF1 to 859-444-6691. Give your answer. Or also feel free to put a one or a two based on, oh. you'll see it in the text, put yeah. a one or a two. Okay, sorry. This there we is go. the Lord speaking. <laughs> yes. Just kidding, Lord, I don't think I'm you. Good catch. I was, yeah, good job. All right, has everyone got that? Text the phone number. If you're having a hard time, student ministries over here, they could probably help you with your phone. So you need to get up and just figure this out. There's lots of people under the age of like 25 or 30 who could help you out if you're having a problem with that. So there we go. If you're having a hard time, Richard. <laughs> um, all right. 
If we got that, 859-444-6691, text one or two. One is yes, two is no. Do you personally feel a need for spiritual community outside of Sunday morning gatherings? Next question in five, four, three, two, one. Are you part of a house group currently? Same number, text VF2, that same number, and then you'll text your answer. These are just simple yes or no questions. Is this working for everyone? All right. We're going to go about 20 more seconds. And I get a counter right in front of me. Can we, can we post answers for that where people are? The second one's not working, they're saying. It's working for some people. Six, 11, 15, 16. If you have not gotten your response when you put VF2, it should be coming. It's just a lot of people texting at once. <clears throat> Let's hear it for Lucas and those guys back there. They're doing a good job with this. It's kind of a new thing we're trying today, so um, if it doesn't work, you can blame me this time. I have nothing. I, you guys know I didn't put this together, but you can blame me. Uh, all right. We'll give it a couple more seconds because of some of the delay. I know there's way more than 43 people that have responded, I hope, I pray, I think. All right. Give it about 10 more seconds to populate. All right. So... So a good number of you are involved in house groups, so that's, that's great to see. So about 70% are and about 30% aren't. All right, next question. Okay. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 80% of us don't know what we're doing. And we prefer Morse code or tin cans or other things are, and there's going to be, there's going to be bags of our answers outside of like Arizona and Nevada and stuff like that. So, um, for, so we have real answers. We're actually stacking this. Um, so 2000 of you had said no and only four have said yes, but we want to look good. So that's how we count in the 21st century. All right. Next question. Do you current, do you understand how house groups fit into our vision and purpose as a church? Same thing, text VF3 to that, and then you'll get your. Same number, same first two letters, just a different number. VF1, 
VF2, VF3 right now. And I'll give you the option to answer that. I'm gonna go 20 more seconds. Can we just start seeing the polling results of that to move things along, please? As people are sending it. Next question is Ryan, way above average, good looking and smart. There's a maybe, call me maybe. All right. Well, this is good. So, the, well, well, hey, thanks for taking some time to do this. Five, four, three, two, one. There we go. All right. Well, hey, like I said, we are embarking on a new journey. And we thought, like, coming off of gospel fluency, that, like, gospel fluency was a series all about, like, how... How well do we understand the gospel is best measured, not just by how well we can talk about, but do we also live it? Do our words and our lives match each other? And one of the things about um, like this great, like this great book of, um, that we're going to be studying today, Ephesians, is really, it's one of the plainest discourses in the Bible of how to be a disciple, like what it looks like, what a life following Jesus should look like. Like if you open it up as a template and you really, basically if you took the Sermon on the Mount in like the book of Ephesians, you could get a really good idea of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Not saying the other books aren't important, because they are, but I'm saying, but sometimes there's some things that are addressing certain issues to certain churches or certain areas. This is just a very concise thing that just seems to fit across every church at all time. And um, <clears throat> this is perhaps one of the most theological books in the Bible, because a lot of, of, of the breadth of topics that it covers. Like the, book of, like the book of Ephesians is central to theology and the development of the early church. It was a book, it, it was a letter written <clears throat> to the third biggest city in the empire. Back then, back in the day, there was Rome, there was Alexandria, and Ephesus. They were the biggest cities in the Roman Empire. Ephesus was where the highest concentration of Christians were. It seemed like Christianity took off the most there. I think <clears throat> there's various things for that, but I think Alexandria, where it was in Northern Africa, there was some other influences and things happening that slowed it down compared to Ephesus, and Rome was the, was, was the capital of the empire, and there were things happening there that weren't, uh, that were really, like, you know, the closer you get to the magnet, the stronger the pull. And, and so, like in Ephesus, Ephesus was, was down in Turkey, um, Asia Minor, as, as they called it back then, and Ephesus was really close to modern-day Izmir, which, um, like, Izmir is a Turkey, um, a city in Turkey, probably about the size of Chicago. It's a huge, beautiful town. In Ephesus, there are ruins there that, um, archaeologically, you can go find. And so, I've actually been here to Ephesus, um, and Ephesus is a beautiful place located. Ephesus, where it is located, used to be a port city right on the water, but from a series of earthquakes and erosions, Ephesus is now several miles inland, and it's just, it's a ghost town. There's some lizards, there's some bugs, 
and some birds and tourists. And Ephesus is literally just looks like a ruin in the middle of nowhere. But except for you see all the earthquakes and natural disasters that ensued, Ephesus used to be a primary port city and was one of the most beautiful cities in the world, actually. One of the most modern cities. And um, what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be going line by line through these six chapters covering key themes. And they all center around what it looks like to do life together with Jesus and life together with each other. And so, um, and, and we're gonna talk a lot, a lot, and we ask these questions about house groups because honestly, the early church did not meet in big buildings, big arenas, big conferences. They just couldn't. They were literally being hunted from city to city, place to place, so to come in, if, like say you're like Roman, you're like Roman Gus, and you're just driving down the street on your horse, and you see several hundred horses and donkeys pull up the same place. You're like, I wonder what's going on. If you walk in and that's a church meeting, um, you are you have just free reign to arrest, to mutilate, to whatever the people there, because they were very against the movement of Christianity back then. I mean, I was in a um, in a coliseum in Ephesus where literally people were fed to lions. People were fed to tigers. People were killed. Christians were killed for gladiatorial sport, for just simply being Christians. And so these people, to, for, the, for the early growth of the church, once the church basically left Israel, and, and like the disciples, because Jesus told them to start, like to go to, go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and beyond. As it started going beyond their country, they weren't worshiping in many synagogues anymore. And even if they were, there were some synagogues, it still, like it put a double target on your back because the Roman Empire was not super sympathetic to Judaism. And they were less sympathetic to, uh, like to Christianity. And so these people met in house to house. So most of the growth of the church in its most formative years, and actually throughout all time, do you know that the church generally gets stagnant when, when people can meet in huge, huge auditoriums and buildings? That's generally the point where you guarantee that your church is gonna stagnate. There's something about this primal house to house, doing life together that seems to invoke courage um, and seems to invoke optimism, accountability, authority, uh, like, like just regularity and connection. All these things seem to happen better in a small group of believers than they do in a giant one. Because I can stand up here all day and I can say really convicting things or really challenging things, but you can just walk out that door with either giving me the finger or feeling like, like you want to, and I'm not gonna really know whether you followed up on it or not. But if you're in, in a spiritual community with people doing life together, people there know if your life is a mess or if you're really struggling or like if you really need help or they know if you have a lot of joy. People know if you have peace. People know if you're experiencing breakthrough, but people also know if your marriage is falling apart. People know if you lost your job. You could walk in here and I might not know in a room full of two or 300 people, might not know that. And I'm not trying to um, put down what happens here on a Sunday, but the point is, is the early church grew by explosion and by exponents meeting in houses from house to house doing life together. 
And so we're going to talk a lot about that because you can't talk about the book of Ephesians with integrity, I don't think, without talking about like the missional disciple-making component of it. You might say, well, I've heard an ABC sermon series on it. Well, if they didn't talk about that, I would say that they're missing it because this letter was to those churches when it says to Ephesus. Ephesus was a whole region. It wasn't just to like the mega church in Ephesus because there was no such thing. It was all dozens, maybe hundreds of house groups that were meeting in the Ephesus region, even out to Laodicea, to Smyrna, to uh, uh, like Colossae, even Cappadocia, like these various places. Some of them were several hundred miles, and this letter was sent to someone, and there were runners and replic- there, there were uh, like these replicators and these runners to disperse the letters to the various churches. They had a centralized governing structure, but they were, that it was like, say it got sent to me, like if I was the guy who was leading some house groups, like in Ephesus, hey, Ryan, you got to make sure that you get this to Smyrna, to Laodicea, bam, bam, bam. And so, you know, Laodicea, Colossae, these places are like 120 miles, 150 miles from Ephesus. But it was to that because they didn't have mass printing. They didn't have uh, memes that went viral on your phones. They didn't have this type of technology. So when it says to Ephesus, it was not to like the mega church in Ephesus. It was to all the house churches, all the house groups in Ephesus. And one of the reasons why we talk about this stuff a lot, and probably to some of, some of your chagrin, is because if we want to do what Jesus did, let's just do what Jesus did. Like, isn't it really easy to overthink it? Oh, well, how this should work in the 21st century would be. The erudite approach would be. I don't know why you say it in that voice. It just sounds more sophisticated uh, But than y'all. But um, do you know people still really need community now? People still have problems. People still want friends. People still have parents. People still have blended families. People still lose their jobs. People still die. People still eat. Not this week, hopefully Vineyard Florence people, but um, the same struggles that we have today are not just something that we deal with in the 21st century. Like people have always been people. Dogs have always been dogs. Like sheep have always, like there's, there is a, that, that there's, there's changes, but we're not like in something that we're not like different, like in our need. Like we all want to be loved. We all have, we all think there's something more. We want to know what our purpose is and we want to belong to a family. Like these are, these are the things that humans deal with across time and the book of Ephesians deals with so many of these things from church governance to the gifting of the body to parenting, to being a boss, to baptizing people. I mean, it's just, it's such a broad stroke and, and it's really a beautiful book. So what I'm gonna encourage you to do during this series is to read ahead. Next week, well, for the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter one. So just read Ephesians one a couple of times. It's not gonna hurt you, trust me, to read the same Bible book more than once. It will not. His mercies are new every morning and he wants to speak to us. And there's a lot there. I mean, if, if you've ever read, if you've ever read a lot of the Bible, sometimes you can just get a word or a verse and it's like, and you just stop there. So I want to encourage you to be reading with us during this series. Because I think that there's something about like 
like just brand new thoughts. And sometimes when there's all the ancillary stuff of all the history, all the background, all the jokes or whatever, it's like you can get a little bit lost on some of the things that are the most, um, that like where the primacy lies of just in the Bible itself. And so, so if you're reading ahead, there's great reinforcement. There's life together. We're doing this together. And want to ask you to be sharing now, um, for those of you some watching some people struggle through that text to post something on social media may be really challenging. But if you're savvy like that, I encourage you, I want, I hope someone takes a risk this week. If God is speaking to you something from maybe something said today or from your reading of the Bible, just share it. I had this kairos. We know kairos is like the word where, where it's kind of like, it's like that aha time, not like in chronological time, linear chronos time, but kairos time in the Bible is like the aha time. If you're having an aha, share it. Just post it like on Instagram, put it on Facebook, and just share with us. Like God is saying this to me, and this was really cool. Or I'm really having a hard time with this. I don't know what this means. Does someone have a good reference? I think like the whole point of social media is not just to behind like the, like behind the sheet or the, or, or the screen, like just bash people who disagree with you uh, like philosophically or like on a political level. Like we could actually just post by more than like what I had for lunch because like, again, hopefully you're fasting this week. But like, hey, I read this in the book of Ephesians today and God met me. So I really encourage you to take that dive this week and try that. Um, so here's what Ephesians starts off with. We're just going to cover two verses today. We're not just going to cover two a week. You're like, that could take 230 years. And Chris said he's coming back soon. So, I mean, you know, so, um, so it says Ephesians 1 and 2. This letter is from Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers. Followers there means, uh, it, it means three things, believers, disciples, and children. And believers there does not just mean someone who gives an assent mentally. Like, I believe that those are sound panels. Or I believe me and James have great haircuts. It's not like that. It's, there's, there's this thing about, I think, therefore, I act upon it. So to the believers, it's not just people who thought something. Like, I think two plus two equals four. Or I, I believe Shakespeare was a great writer. It's that you do something about it. So, and then it kind of, because the word also gives a connotation of a disciple and of a child. And those words are very closely connected in Paul's letter, actually, believe it or not. And so, like I said, this book was written a um, long time ago, about A.D. 60 to 63. Um, Paul was thought to have died in A.D. 66. This was a later letter and has been described as the quintessence of Paul's letters. That means it brings it together. Like I said, about 85% of Paul's writings you find in the book of Ephesians, like things he wrote to other churches, like to the Romans, to the Colossians, to the Thessalonians or whatever, about 85% of his composite writings appear in the book of Ephesians. It's the centralized uh, motif of Paul's apostleship. So Paul is writing to a very Greek church. 
Paul's taking very Hebraic concepts from his Jewish world. And now Paul is a person living in a new land. Paul was probably born somewhere on very eastern Turkey, like in Damascus. But Paul is now more kind of moving up the coast towards like where we know Istanbul is, Constantinople. Ephesus was kind of in the middle of those places. And that's where Paul was living. And I've heard it called the great rhapsody of Christian salvation. A guy named E.J. Goodspeed said, Paul was closely acquainted with this church. So like I said, he spent three, three years there. So these weren't just people like Paul just didn't do a drive-by and just drop something off. Like Paul had spent a lot of time there. So what he had written at this point in time was, was based upon his time there, his uh, deputy, Timothy, who he called his son in the faith. Timothy was the pastor of the church of Ephesus, who Paul also wrote two letters. So really you could look at it potentially like there were at least three letters written to the church of Ephesus because Timothy was pastoring that church. So there's a lot of time spent in the book of Ephesus. Um, and we first hear about Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. When Paul goes there, he's in prison, like I said, when he writes this letter. And there were already folks that were kind of anticipating what was going to happen as time was dialing up, as Paul wrote to these people. Because there was so much expectation that during their lifetime, the Messiah was going to come back. <clears throat> and Paul doesn't quell that, but Paul... Basically, about four years, he wrote this in AD 66. One of the worst dudes of all time comes in the power, Nero. Nero was so bad, his name was Kaiser Neron. And when you um, spell that name in the Latin or in some other languages, when you look at, I like the numerical values, uh, Nero's name was actually spelled 666. So part of the prophetic Nero was also called the beast. Nero would dress up in the skins of animals and do unthinkable things to men, women, and children. Physically, sexually, he was a brute. So Nero would dress up as a beast and he was the beast of Rome. So Paul's writing this stuff when it seems like time is culminating and dialing up and maybe the worst guy in history is sitting on the throne. But Paul does not write just about the end times or just like, hey man, hang up, go for the hills, you know, buy a generator, buy a gun and you know, go up there and like, you know, make sure you got enough uh, like for two. Paul's actually writing instead a very deep letter in detail. Like here's how the church needs to do this going forward for all time. So Paul wasn't caught up in the now and all the turbulence happening. He didn't know when it was coming back, when Jesus was coming back. No one does. But Paul wrote this letter almost as that was an aside. Like, yeah, that's going to happen, but right now we're focusing on the main and plain. So the book of Ephesians was very relevant then, and I believe it's very relevant now because they said they were in the laster days. And as my friend John Brown says, that means we're probably in the laster days, Right? So if they were in the last days, we're, in the, we're, we're a little further along. But Paul didn't write about like some head for the hills, check out church mentality. He's like, no, this is how you do life together. Because all that's gonna matter when Jesus comes back, do you know that our preparedness when we stand before Christ is gonna be about how we loved him and loved each other? That's gonna be the litmus. So Paul wasn't writing about some abstract head for the hills, dispensational Thing. He was saying, 
whenever he comes back, if it's now or in a thousand years or 2,000 years or 10,000 years, here's how we need to move this thing forward, not only in the world, but in our hearts. And so if we want to do what Jesus did, let's do what Jesus did. And we saw that Jesus was all about loving God, making disciples, impacting the world. That's why we're saying these things. We don't have to be cute or cheeky or pithy or whatever. We're just looking at the stuff that's in the book very simply and just open it up and be like, okay, well, Father, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray, as Jesus says. All right, Lord, I thank you for so-and-so and I should pray for him now. I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. And just like you commanded that demon to come out, I'm commanding it to. I'm not gonna bargain with it. I'm not gonna beg it. I'm not gonna think that the, what happens like in the exorcist is more powerful than what could happen in heaven when I know your finger can drive the stuff out. I'm just gonna open up your book and I'm just gonna imitate it because I'm not that smart. And Ephesians gives us a very similar template for how to do life together and how to do church. Um, and like I said, there's a decent chance Paul just didn't write this for the city of Ephesus. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. Anyone ever watch any of the Bible Project videos? Homework. Besides read Ephesians, if you can, fast. Fast all week, all together or something. <clears throat> Go check out the Bible Project. The Bible Project is um, this, this amazing, um, almost seemingly voluminous series of Bible videos that are between three and eight minutes long that are so rich, so deep, done so well. They're uh, like they're animated. They're uh, like they're narrated and they unfold very clear scriptures and motifs and ideas and concepts in the Bible and ties them together in a way that is masterful. If you've never watched the Bible Project, if you like to read the Bible with your kids, <clears throat> we always read the Bible uh, with our kids most every day now for 21 years. And man, this has been a great thing for my girls, just something fresh. As we've been, we've been a lot of times uh, listening to the Bible Project or reading some of the scripts out of the Bible Project, and they love it. So it's a great way to engage your kids, your teens, maybe your friends. Theologically beautiful. But Tim Mackey says this, there's two parts that really, that Ephesians is broken down to. One is the story of the gospel. History at its climax. Like history grows up. At that point in time, the fullness of time in the scriptures had come together. And Ephesians is a great summarization of tying the old to the new. The world that was coming up in the world ahead. That's why Paul just wasn't writing some like deep, deep, deep end times uh, like syllabus. It was more about like the world ahead. Here's how the past, the present, and the future connect. And here's the best way forward. And then <clears throat> the gospel or the good news, which you guys know by now because you're gospelly fluent, right? Anyone gospel fluent now? If you're not, we can do another 74 weeks of it. Um, anyone gospel fluent right now? There we go. Hey, how's that? Like, teacher like, hey, has anyone got a pencil? And you're like, anyone want a quiz on the spot? If you don't get your pencil out, everyone like gets it out. So, um, but the gospel, he says, the gospel should affect our entire story. 
See, the gospel isn't just something I talk about. It's something I live out. If that news is so good that I should like maybe sign up for it, maybe it should change me too. Not only should it change me, it can. There is limitless potential in the man named Jesus, what he did for us. And this book expounds upon that greatly. It should affect our entire story, our family, community. The church and God's body growing up together, here's what it should look like. We should be both hearers and doers, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven. And so what I've just read, read this morning, this letter's from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers or believers of Christ Jesus. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Does your life have grace and peace? Paul, opening up with this thing, like very important first words, if you're a follower, if you're a believer, if you're a disciple, if you're a child of the king, may you have grace and peace. Do you have grace and peace in your life? Because I, I can tell you one of the things that's really important about when we obey God, do you know God is not just like someone who is really insecure, that if we don't agree with him, he gets all upset, or he just doesn't know what to do if everyone doesn't like him, if he doesn't have enough likes, you know, on his, on his uh, social media. Like, do you know when we obey God, when we obey God, that there's things that come that we will not get any other way? Purpose. Order. Like the word shalom, the word shalom, which Paul doesn't use that word here, but Paul was a Jew. So Paul was writing in Greek, but the word shalom, anyone ever heard of the word shalom? What does shalom mean? Peace. And do you know what it even more means than just peace? Like, yo, word. Like, it means well-ordered. Do you know shalom means well-ordered? So when you have peace in your life, your heart is well-ordered. Your life is well-ordered. Your priorities will be well-ordered. Your anxiety can be well-ordered. Your fear can be well-ordered. Your finances, when you have God's peace in your life, your finances can be well-ordered. The peace of God that transcends all understanding that God wants to rule our hearts gives us the best order we could ever have in our lives. And Ephesians centers on that and it capitalizes on that. May the God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I don't know about you, I don't know what I really need more in this life a lot of times than grace and peace. Because isn't it really hard, if the greatest is love, can you really love without grace or peace? Like love, love like is the penultimate, it's the highest virtue. But can you really love without grace and peace? And so Paul starts off this letter that's all about love and a church that does life together, loves God and loves one another, that the first words he says is disciples with grace and peace. So if you wonder why we talk about discipleship so much, if you open up the books of the Bible, Jesus and his followers talk about it endlessly. And that's where we want to head in this book. Great Bible scholar N.T. Wright summarizes Ephesians as an epistle for everyone. 
An epistle just means a letter. It summarizes that Jesus spoke to the Jew, the Roman, the Samaritan. We see stuff for women, for poor, for sick, for healthy, for the wealthy, for the lame, for the well-learned. This book speaks to everyone. It's an epistle for everyone. So you might think, man, going line by line, that's gonna be really boring, or that's gonna be really scholarly, or that's gonna be really whatever. No, it's an epistle for everyone. It's very broad stroke. It can meet you where you are in your life. The Bible is not a book for... um, educated white people. The book is not just a church for undereducated people. It's not just a book for uneducated white people. It's not a book just like for like American or like Israeli people. It's a book for everyone. There's no stereotypes. Paul rips them down. We're going to go through it. Jesus is a Lord for everyone. And Paul writes kind of his uh, like Magna Carta of epistles as one that's for everyone. He covers it all. And we're going to cover it all. And uh, N.T. Wright calls it kind of like, like, the, um, like the London eye of the epistles. Anyone ever been to London? Everyone ever see this Ferris wheel in London? Like, I remember we were in London walking by at night. And we could see it from far away. And the girl was like, are we going to ride that? I'm like, no, we're not going to. I wish we could. We didn't have enough time. But like up on the top of the Ferris wheel, which I don't know how tall it is, really tall, apparently gives you the best view of London. Just like you can see, like, like panoramic, all, all directions of one of the most uh, resplendent cities on earth. I've never been anywhere like London. London is just, it's breathtaking, how beautiful, how huge, how it just all works together. It's just, it, it's incredible. And this letter is kind of the London eye, like the best view of like one of the most complete, robust uh, like uh, letters in the whole Bible. And Ephesians is tantamount to that, to being like the bird's eye view of the Bible. Like, I believe it's the Kairos letter of Paul's epistles. And like we said, Kairos is kind of like, what is God saying to me? How do I respond to it? Because Jesus says the wise builder hears these words of mine and puts them into practice or they obey them. So Ephesians is, it's super relevant, very fun, very succinct. And like I said, if you read it, you can read it over and over again. And there's so many one-liners or little condensed portions that are so practical and so powerful and so purposeful that if you'll take them to heart, God will have something for you every morning in it. It's a mosaic, if you will. If you just take a fragment, and here's what's really important. I know we send out the verse of the day. Can you imagine if the only thing you ever ate was like a communion wafer a day or something maybe of that rendering that tastes better? Can you imagine if you just ate a cracker a day or like a chicken wing a day? How malnourished would you be? Friends, I encourage you to read a lot more than a verse a day. That's a great launch point. That's the diving board. But the pool is the wholeness of the scripture that God invites you to jump into and read more. You can listen to the Bible, like if you're not a very good reader. If you don't know how to set that up, I'd be glad to show you. Or I said, the section over here, anything tech? Do you want to detonate a mall in Bali or learn how to listen to the Bible or learn how to make roller skates out of straws? They can help you. Um, So whatever it is, these people have it and God has it too. So I really encourage you to ingest the word. 
Read whole chapters. Read, don't just read a verse. Read the verses around to get not only the content, but to get the context. Because this is a book for the church. And so we're gonna be talking a lot about what it looks like to do life together at Vineyard Florence Church. Not just on Sundays, not just in house groups, but in our families, in our personal lives, we're gonna cover all this stuff. And so I think uh, we're gonna... We're gonna wrap up on this quote by uh, an amazing, famed, and now uh, with Jesus Bible scholar named John Stott. John Stott is one of the more prolific writers. He was one of these guys who, like uh, like our brother N.T. Wright, was very intelligent, was a theologue, but could take very um, dense things and condense them beautifully with like the penmanship of C.S. Lewis or you know N.T. Wright. He says this, No one can emerge from a careful reading of Paul's letter to the Ephesians with a privatized gospel. There's this thing in our country where we just like, Jesus is my personal savior. Like Jesus did die for you. Jesus did die for me, but it's not just a, a, that's not just good news for me. You can't read Ephesians and come out with a privatized gospel. For Ephesians, it's the gospel of the church. And it's for everyone that's alive, old, young, rich, poor, middle class, undereducated, educated, male, female, people that are in bondage, people that grew up in great families. This is a book for everybody. And so from reading it, what Paul's hope is, is that after we, we read it and we know these things, that our lives would be full of grace and be full of peace, which our lives would be well-ordered by reading it. So I invite you the next several, several weeks to journey through us. Invite your friends. If you have people that like, hey, we're talking about stuff and this is gonna be exciting. I say, I don't know, I wanna grow a book about it. It's like, man, if this stuff doesn't get us out of bed, like, what are we doing? Like, this is, this is the living God wants to talk to his people. Like, this is God wanting to talk to his people. Like, this is love letter from God to us. And if you want to know why you're here, if you want to know what it's all about, if you want to know how to belong, you want to know how to change, how to heal, how to grow, maybe how to fill in the gaps, maybe you've lost a lot in your life. Like, this will tell you, this will give the answers to the questions. So we're going to dive into these to these together. So we're going we're gonna to have a time of prayer. And I just encourage you to, um, I, I encourage you to open your heart. Open your heart. What's God saying to you? What's, what's, what do you need Jesus to do for you to have grace and peace? If you're not in a house group, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you for the next three months. They meet every other week. I'm going to encourage you to try one. Like, oh, no, you didn't. No one tells me what to do. The kingdom of heaven will be very hard for you. Like, I'm just telling you the stuff Jesus is telling you to do. All I'm doing is like regurgitating what the book says. And he says, open your heart to me. Try something new. So I encourage you, try one. Try a, try a house group. Get involved for a while. And you might say, well, I can't. I work on Wednesday nights. Well, we have them. Um, Sundays, I think we have them Tuesdays, we have them Thursdays, it's like bubba gum, we have, 
Thursday house group. We got Saturday house group. We got popcorn, shrimp, bump spot, shrimp. We got it all over the place. So you can find one that'll work for your schedule. If not, start one. Start one with people who are maybe in your position. Maybe you work third shift. Start a 7.30 a.m. house group at IHOP or your house or wherever. Like, you know, just, and, um, and I encourage you to, to jump in and just share what God's doing because we're, we are better together. We're way better together. When this, this is a collective story, when we do life, we do life together, we do kingdom together better, and we preach a more fluent gospel than we do in just some privatized rendering of our own. So Father, would you come? Would you meet us today? Would you come? Lord, we're, we're, we're struggling. Maybe we struggle with this idea of maybe, maybe you've been torched by a small group or a house church or some small church group, or maybe you were in a, a lab I don't know if you, I, I don't know, I just can't even get a sense. Is there someone who was like in something in college, just a small group, and you got lit up, you got embarrassed, and you you shared something, and it just came back to destroy you, and you really lost your faith in groups. I don't know if that's someone today. There's someone that's been really let down. Is there someone, I don't know if that's hitting at all. If that's you, I want to pray for you today. But God, would you touch our lives? Would you lead us in your word? Would you lead us with open hearts? Would you lead us with open minds? Would you speak to us? Would you show us, Lord, what you have for your church? Help us to walk in grace and peace. Help our lives be full of your goodness that we share with others in a well-ordered fashion. It's in your mighty, powerful, beautiful name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you want prayer, prayer teams, come on down. We'd love to pray for you and bless you today. Hope you have an amazing week and go and sin less.